Welcome to the Business of You podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Gogos. This podcast is dedicated to helping you uncover how to turn your big idea into big business and grow your personal brand into the business of your dreams. Each week, I'll talk to founders of all kinds of businesses, exploring how they launched and grew their companies. Behind every successful business is an epic journey, one that can serve as a roadmap to help you grow yours. The Business of You is all about frank conversations and unique business wisdom for the entrepreneur. It's a chance to tune into the story behind the brand and retrace the path of those who walked this road before you so you can pave your own road to success. Welcome to the Business of You. Today's guest is our first performance artist. If you've ever been a fan of the hit show Nashville or General Hospital, then you're going to love today's episode featuring Jonathan Jackson. Jonathan shares a lot about his life and his journey from childhood actor to where he is today. An adult performing artist, he has a band that's been around for decades. He is an actor still. He's also an entrepreneur and the founder of a film school, and he's also an author. Jonathan is such a creative masterpiece of a person. He's got such a lovely laid back vibe too. And I think you're really going to enjoy today's episode of the behind the scenes of his life and how he's gotten to where he is today. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of The Business of You featuring Jonathan Jackson. Jonathan, welcome to The Business of You. How's your morning so far? Very good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you on the show. I love to hear people's origin stories, and I I think it's so Mm -hmm. fascinating for our listeners to hear how you came to where you are today. And if you want to start as early as, you know, where were you Mm -hmm. born? What was, what was young Jonathan's life like? Well, um, I was born in Orlando, Florida, um, but I didn't grow up there. My parents left when I was about six weeks old, uh, all the way to the opposite side of the the country. Uh, They moved to Washington state where my, my father's, uh, well, where he grew up basically where his family was. So I grew up there, a little town called Battleground, Washington. My childhood is kind of divided into two uh, sections, really, because I grew up in Washington State, and then we moved to California when I was 10, turning 11. So uh, it's it's interesting as I look back on my childhood, because in some ways, subconsciously it's like it stopped at at 11 because I started working on general hospital um at 11 years old yeah at 11 yeah and so even though I I look back I go well that's still my childhood um but I I never when someone says what was your childhood like I never think about LA I always think about the first 10 years in Washington um so yeah I mean Washington was was lovely um I have very fond memories of of Washington state and the early, you know, early years, it was just a different time. You know, I have three kids, 19, 17, and 12. And, um, you know, we try to, my wife and I try to tell them at times how different it was back then. I mean, we would go out and just be out in the, uh, in the woods, basically all around the neighborhood for, you know, five hours in the afternoon, we had a little motorbike. My brother and I would go out, you know, illegally on, on the, the, the streets. And 
occasionally someone from a house would yell at us, but for the most part, everyone was like, oh, that's just kids being kids. And I mean, we would be out all day long uh, with no care, no concern, no thought of, you know, safety or anything like that. Nowadays, it's like kids don't really have as much of that opportunity anymore. It's just, you know, the world has changed so much. So I'm thankful for that, um, that, uh, you know, being able to just have that, that innocence, I guess. Um, and you know, my, my dad is a family practice physician, so he runs his own medical business. He has for about 40 years. Um, and it was, it was, it was great, you know, intergenerational things, very close to my, my grandparents, um, on my father's side, primarily because they lived, you know, in the same neighborhood. And, um, Sports was really everything growing up. I'm not everything. I mean, it, everything outside of family, I guess, and, and of faith. My parents were quite, uh, you know, pretty, pretty pious people. Um, but other than that, sports was it. It was like baseball, basketball. And that was kind of the trajectory my brother and I were very focused on. And our sister is older um, and she was, you know, she's just academically brilliant. So she was kind of on that track. But um, and then we took a vacation to Universal Studios in California when I was about nine. And and my brother got uh, called on stage to sit in the DeLorean from Back to the Future um, and and be kind of like be Marty McFly with the green screen and and the whole experience wasn't just that, that was one moment, but the whole experience kind of got us really lit up about storytelling and films and things like this. So we went back home and kind of begged our parents to let us, you know, get into that. And so we took acting classes for a couple of years in uh, Portland. We were very close to Portland, Oregon. Uh, and then my brother got a, a manager at a, a talent competition I uh, don't, don't even know if they still have those anymore, but they did then. And I kind of rode his coattails to LA and, and we started um, uh, auditioning. My parents kind of thought it would be an experiment, you know, like a three month uh, phase. And then I ended up booking General Hospital and uh, my brother, you know, started working on Saved by the Bell, the new class after that. And I mean, basically we just, we just never left, um, you know, um, I didn't know what I was getting into. I was just, you know, a kid really, you know? So that's, that was, that's the first, first part anyway, I guess. <laughs> when um, you were on general hospital at the age of 11, do you remember about how many hours a week you were working and how you balanced school? And yeah. Um, it's hard to say the hours, but it, you know, it was probably two to three days on the set on average. Um you know, and, and I mean, when I was really young, I would say I was probably between 12 to 20 pages uh, on any given day. Um, and that increased over time as I got older. And, and also the, the pace of the show just has continued to increase over the years. So when I came back to the show in 2010 or 2009, um, they, you know, I, I was doing 120 pages a week um, of dialogue. So it's just increased so much, but yeah, at that time, but it was still so much as a kid, um, and doing school at the same time. And I was also ended up doing some films at the same time. So sometimes I was doing, uh, 
And and the compromise that the network made, because I was under contract to do one of these films like Camp Nowhere or The Deep End of the Ocean, let's say, they said, okay, you can, we'll let you do this movie. Um, they're, the movie's going to have to change their production, you know, to you're going to have to work on General Hospital every Monday and do the entire week's worth of work on Monday. Then you can go do the movie Tuesday through Saturday or whatever the schedule ends up being. So I ended up doing, you know, 40 pages every Monday on General Hospital and then filming the the movie the rest of the week and doing school wow. through all of that. So it was it was pretty, you know, it was grueling. Yeah. It was pretty hefty. What were your friendships like then? You mentioned loving sports and mm. did you have time for that? I did. Yeah. It's, uh -huh. you know, I mean, it's interesting when you look back, you you kind of only know what you know. So oftentimes, you know, over the years, people have asked that and, and, you know, like, did you go to prom or things like this? I was like, wow, no, <laughs> I, I mean, I didn't, I never even thought about it, but um, I mean, the friendships were sort of this interesting combination of, I was kind of in an adult world at that point. So I, I, I grew very close to my, my coworkers, you know, who were my kind of mentors and teachers and all of this. Uh, and I'm so thankful for, for that, you know, Anthony Geary and Jeannie Francis in particular were, you know, just godsends, uh, for me in that way. Um, you know, we, my brother, I mean, my brother was really my closest friend. So I was very thankful that we had each other to walk through kind of the madness of, uh, LA and the industry together. We would, we would have friends, you know, we would meet on projects. Um, and, uh, you know, so they, they came and went, but yeah, it's hard. I don't know. It's, it's hard for me to really think about uh, how different it was. It, it wasn't the high school experience, um, that everyone else has, you know, I was mm -hmm. mostly working mm -hmm. on the set or, mm -hmm. or doing school at home. Yeah. 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 So a after high school, did you decide to go on to college or did you continue to, um, really hone your acting career? Yeah, I thought about going to college. I nearly did. I kind of wanted to, but um, mm -hmm. at that point I was, I had already been working, you know, for so many years mm -hmm. and it just felt strange to um, stop a career that was moving very well. Yeah. Go study to have a career, I guess. Right. You know, um, Makes sense. And, yeah. So interestingly though, what happened, I, I guess, as I look back is, um, cause I, I had a real thirst to learn. So uh, I just kind of took it upon myself and uh, I've pretty much since then, I've been a voracious reader and I just, I, I keep wanting to learn more and more about history and a lot of different, you know, interests and things. So it, it kind of became part of my life to say, just cause I'm not going to college, I don't want to stop learning things mm -hmm. about the world. You know, and so I, I took that quite seriously. I remember going to the bookstore with my brother and I was like, listen, you know, if we're not going to go to college, like doesn't mean we can't learn. And I started just we, we would look for books on different subjects and we were just kind of trying to teach ourselves, I guess. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's great. And when did you start um, dabbling in writing? Because I know you're a musician, mm. you're an mm -hmm. actor and, and also mm -hmm. to. To piggyback on that question, when did your musical career take off? And mm -hmm. Yeah, writing began very early on. So um, Richard, my brother, is three years older than me. And um, 
we we started writing our first screenplay when he was, I think, 15 and I was 12. And part of the instinct was a lot of the scripts we were reading were just not very good. Um, and so we had a this feeling early on, like we need to kind of uh, we need to learn how to write. We need to figure this out because we're not we can't just sit around and wait for, you know, good projects to come our way. So we started honing those skills uh, at that early age. Music was happening at the same time. So I I started writing songs, uh, you know, 11, 12, uh, same time I started acting. Um, and that was kind of, um, I think, uh, a, a way of keeping me sane. It was like a therapeutic thing, the music uh, side of things. And it was primarily just, you know, when you're that age, it's just a hobby kind of. And then it built towards uh, starting a band, you know, in my my late teens um, with my brother and some friends. And so we've we've kind of just kept doing that ever since. So our band E-Nation has been around in one form or another for, you know, probably since I was 20 or something like that. Um and then the the music career has just kind of been there, um, you know. Uh, when the Nashville show happened, that kind of changed things in terms of visibility with music. Um, but you know, it's really just kind of been there the whole time, growing alongside the the acting and the writing and all of that. Yeah, yeah. How would you describe yourself, your your personality, or um, the way you're oriented in the sense? Are you more of an introvert or an extrovert? Uh, well, you know, I'm very much more of an introvert. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I don't know if, um, you know, I, I, am fascinated by the, the introvert extrovert, um, dynamic. And, and I don't know how much of that is, you know, nature or nurture. I, I look back cause as a, as a young kid, I was, I was really outgoing and quite extroverted. And once I started acting, you know, um, that's when I became more introverted. So I don't know, uh, yeah, where it comes from, but, but very, very much so, uh, more of an introvert. Um, I, I do love people and I love communicating and connecting with people one-on-one or, you know, maybe if it's a group of four, six at the most, really, once it gets past six, I'm, I'm out. I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I have <laughs> nothing. I, I just have nothing to offer at that point. I'm just going to kind of be there. Yeah. 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 Um, and I, and I asked that question cause I think, gosh, from a young age, you were really the center of attention probably in a lot of situations from being in a band mm-hmm. <clears throat> to being a young actor on a show with a lot of adults. And I just wonder what that felt like. Mm. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, there, it, that's a, it's a complex, it's a complex thing because um, performing is its own kind of uh uh, animal, I guess. Um, and it's hard to know what's happening to, to yourself when you're performing. So, um, but I know it impacted me a lot. Um, I mean, on the positive side, I would say that one of the things I feel like acting gave me at a young age was, and I, there's been a lot of studies about, you know, the brain and the neuroplasticity, uh, in that, that can happen. Um, when, you put yourself in certain situations. And so, and there are people who even looked into it with acting and said, yeah, like the, the neuroplasticity in the brain actually changes, you know, when people play other characters and perform things. And 
Um, so I, I think that that did kind of open, open me up a bit to the world. Um, at a very, very young age, I had to think and feel, uh, and ask so many questions about how other people would see the world and what their fears might be, what their desires might be, uh, kind of, you know, human psychology, you know, became part of my world from a very young age. So, um, I kind of naturally gravitated towards authors like Dostoevsky, you know, as a teenager. And it was just looking for a lot of the paradoxes and complexities of human nature. Um, so all of that was going on. So that I'm very thankful for that. I guess I should say that foundation, um, you know, on the negative side, I think it, it's kind of what you said. It's the, the attention is, is well, too much attention, positive or negative is kind of negative, um, you know, because if you're being praised, that's negative, you know, cause it's, it, it, it is going to kind of, um, you know, attack your ego, which, which will put you in a false reality. Or if you're being, if you have too much attention towards, um, criticism, judgment, negativity, which is, there's plenty of that. That's also terrible too. So you're kind of potentially in extremes, um, when you're in any kind of a spotlight. So searching for an equilibrium really was kind of, I think my, my key, my main focus, uh, as throughout my whole teenage years, you know, mm -hmm. how do I survive this? How do I kind of remain sane? Yeah. That? Yeah. And is that where music came in? Cause you said music was kind of a um, way to keep you sane. Well, yeah. I mean, music was, was part of it. M music mm -hmm. was a, a uh, a big element of that, uh, mm -hmm. of the emotional, um, equilibrium. I was able to, uh, it was very cathartic, um, mm -hmm. but to only to a point, you know, mm -hmm. it, you know, it has to be, it was, you know, for me, I would say I was around 12, 12 years old. Um, and I, I was in LA and I kind of had this I was kind of, I guess, having this existential crisis. I wouldn't have put it that way at the time, but I think I was. And, um, you know, it was sort of a combination of glimpsing where my life could could go if I wasn't careful. And I, I, mm. I kind of, I could kind of see how this massive wave could very easily just pick me up and and um, destroy me if mm -hmm. I if I didn't orient myself correctly. So. I think my parents, uh, whatever I saw in them growing up around their faith, um, mm -hmm. I think that kind of worked its way into my, my heart at that point. I thought I need to, I need to anchor myself here. Otherwise this thing's gonna, you know, kind of just take over. Mm -hmm. Would you define yourself as a pretty faithful kid when you were that age or? Ah, that's a really good, yeah. i had had some experiences as a young kid where I really did feel connected to, um, to God, not, not just in some conceptual way, but mm -hmm. actually some kind of actual experiences, which were very real. Mm -hmm. Um, but I was also a bit of an anarchist and, and a rebel, like my most, re my most rebellious <laughs> years really was, were probably like eight to 12. <laughs> really? And, yeah. Okay. And I was, I was just, I don't know. I was the youngest. Uh, I had a lot of rage uh -huh. and, you know, I was just, yeah. I mean, I, I remember 
kicking the wall in, you know, cause I couldn't, I couldn't jump as high as my brother when we were, mm-hmm. you know, I was very competitive and we would mm-hmm. get in these horrible fights, physical fights. Um, and so, you know, when you're that young, it, it doesn't look that bad on the outside mm-hmm. because it's like, you know, you're a kid, what, what can kids, you yeah. do? But had mm-hmm. that not, had that trajectory not changed, it would have developed into things that were horrible, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. I would have been, you know, a 17-year-old anarchist is very different than an eight-year-old anarchist. (laughs) (laughs) So true. So true. Yeah. I know somewhere along your journey, you found orthodoxy and and converted. What what was that? Were you seeking something different or was there something that happened or was going on in your life Mm -hmm. to, uh, to cause that shift? Yeah, you know. Yes and no, in the sense that I I wasn't actively searching for a long time, but I, I was uh, taking my my uh, spiritual life very seriously, um, and I was just sort of slowly, slowly feeling um, like something very central was missing in my experiences in various uh, you know Protestant uh, churches wonderful people, uh, most of the time, um, good intentions. Um, you know, I was reading C.S. Lewis's works as a teenager and, um, reading the scriptures a lot. Um, but something about the church itself, the churches that I would go to, and it was just, I just didn't understand it. I just thought, what, I don't like what's happening. Why are there so many versions of Christianity that there, some of them are just flat out contradictory. And, and, you know, I mean, some people are saying that there is no free will, you know, like, that's a big deal. <laughs> Other people are saying, no, there is free will. And and some people are saying that, you know, you, you have to go to church on, on the seventh day, you know, like the Adventists, otherwise you're going to go to hell or um, it's just, and you just, you start looking around and you're like, man, this is very confusing. What's going on here? Um, so I did feel that sense of something's not quite lining up here, but it it was, it wasn't really, uh, that sense of something missing was not connected to Christ himself. It was just more about the church. Like what, what is the church? Um, there was a vagueness around that. Um, and eventually we went to, um, Rome, Italy. My wife is Italian and and I was working in Romania and we went to Italy. I had a week off of work and it was that experience being in Italy that kind of opened my mind. And I thought, wow, I, I need to read Christian history because I don't really know anything after, you know, the apostles to Martin Luther, which is a pretty big gap, you know, like, wow, that's, um, uh, 1500 years or so. Um, and it was really just, that was part of, I think, again, that sense of not, um, just not to say I would have learned any of that going to college, but my mindset was already, you know, self, uh, learning. Um, and so thought, yeah, I'm going to pick this up. So I just started reading everything I could get my hands on for about four years, just about Christian history. Like, what is this? What happened? Why are there thousands of versions now? Um, what's, what's the deal with, you know, with, 
uh, Rome, you know, and Rome, the Catholic Church claims to be the original church. Um, so it was a very, just a very real um, kind of journey uh, for me and and my wife. You know, she was raised Catholic. She became Protestant um, after she'd walked away from her faith for very, you know, many years. And Orthodoxy is very hidden. Uh, if you're not, if you don't come from a, a Greek or, you know, Serbian or Russian family, uh, orthodoxy is in America is just very hidden. Um, less so maybe now than it was when we were searching, but, but still most people don't really know it exists or really understand what it is. Um, and, you know, lo and behold, it, it was like almost every, everything, how would you say it? It's like, Everything good that I could see in the Roman Catholic Church is still in orthodoxy, but but the the things that I perceived as being really kind of off were not in orthodoxy. And every and the same thing with Protestants, you know, it was like this is this is a it's just it just kind of holds everything in in this perfect balance. And it was also very challenging. It, it wasn't telling me what I wanted to hear that kind of fit the postmodern your truth, my truth. Um, it, it was challenging, you know, the truth, uh, is demanding. It, it asks something of you and it, it certainly did of me. It, it challenged my preconceptions, my preferences. Um, and I had to consistently, um, approach those things and, and say, yeah, look, I mean, either I'm in charge of, you know, the truth or the truth is in charge of me. and. Um, if I believe in the historic Christ, how can I not believe in, in the historic church? You know, there were a lot of just really, um, somebody said, this is an interesting one. You know, they said like the modern question is what do I believe? And it, and it sounds very, yeah, that's like, like, that's like one of the most important questions. What do I believe? But the, the real question, if you're any kind of, you know, if you have any approximation to Christ, the real question is, not what do I believe, but what do Christians believe and what have they always believed? That's the question. Um, it's a very subtle difference, but it, it, it doesn't. Sometimes people ask about certain hot topic, you know, issues or whatever in our day and age. And a lot of times the response is, it, it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what, you know, Christ taught and what the apostles taught. That's what matters. So I'm orienting myself um, uh, within all of my inadequacies um, towards that. And um, it's, it's kind of the opposite of, of, of the culture and the postmodern thing we're living in. But it also offers an incredible freedom because you're not kind of, you're not your own God anymore. Um, and there's a relief in that as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, gosh, you say say it all so beautifully the way you put it together and um and your reflections on orthodoxy and I'd mentioned to you before that I was just born into the faith and mm -hmm. so um which is why I love talking to people who convert because again they've made the choice and they've studied it from a whole different vantage point and then had to make sense of it to themselves in order to take the step to convert yes. into it, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's uh... It's interesting because, uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of truth in that. I mean, a lot of converts that we know as well, they they 
you have to take it seriously to um it's kind of like moving to a new country in a way you know you're 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 going into a uh the the liturgy i was not raised with liturgy you know um in, in even in a, in a high church protestant environment um i wasn't raised in that so um there was a lot to overcome um mm-hmm. uh but again there's there's a blessing on the other side of discomfort and that's one of the mm-hmm. things that we found mm-hmm. you know just because mm-hmm. something's uncomfortable doesn't mean it's bad right right you know, so um, true a lot of times people get really scared and uncomfortable when they're falling in love, you know, and it have so much fear. It doesn't mean it's bad. It just means something in you is being confronted with a, a higher you know, beauty, let's say, or, um, a, 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 and it's scary, you know, it's scary to draw close to anything like that. Um, but I think nowadays it feels like more and more the culture is trying to say, like, if it, if it feels bad in any way avoid it if it feels good in any way run after it and and truth is so much more complicated than that you know some of the best things in our lives um come uh through some trial and suffering and and humility and and some of the worst things in our lives that we look back on are, are because you know if something seemed great you know right in front of us and then we live with the the consequences or the the results of that i hope you enjoyed this episode of the business of you if you found a little dose of inspiration or learned something new please leave a review and share it with a friend or even two interested in building your brand and business tune in next time to the business of you podcast and remember There's only one you. You're the biggest differentiator your business has. Until next time, friends.